welcome to the Hydric and Struggles Leadership Podcast. Hydric is the premier global provider of senior level executive search and leadership consulting services. Diversity and inclusion, leading through tumultuous times, and building thriving teams and organizations are among the core issues we talk with leaders about every day, including in our podcasts. Thank you for joining the conversation. Hello, I'm Rachel Farley, a consultant in Hydrogen Struggles London office and a specialist in HR executive search. In today's podcast, I'm speaking to Jerry Doris, Chief People Officer at Delivery Hero, the European multinational online food delivery service. Jerry joined Delivery Hero in 2018, and before that, she was head of HR at Rakuten USA, based in Silicon Valley. Jerry, welcome, and thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Let me ask you this, Jerry. Since you joined Delivery Hero, you've been able to weave a strong employee experience, engagement, and purpose into the company's corporate culture. What were the main drivers to achieve this? Yeah, I mean, I think when I think about it, the first two that come to mind was that when I joined Delivery Hero in 2018, Nicholas, our CEO, had said to me, we really hadn't spent any time on the people strategy. At that time, Delivery Hero was about 5,000 people, and we had been focused primarily on growth, which is very common for a lot of startups. And so the very first thing that I did was create a vision for the PeopleOps organization, and that was to create an amazing employee experience. And so what we did was we used that as a barometer of, hey, does this get us closer to our vision if we do this process or this program or whatever it may be? If it didn't, then we just wouldn't do it. And then the second thing that we did, and and I I really say we'd still do this to the date, is that we co-create. And I think so often there are a lot of well-intended people ops organizations out there that will come up with wonderful ideas or programs for the intent of supporting and empowering the business, but they lack the opportunity to co-create with the business. So we create something for them, but we don't create something with them. We've been really able to focus on engagement, focus on things that matter, and scale our business in a way that is really people-centric. And how, if you were to describe how your employees see and feel the the delivery um, hero day-to-day experience. How would you summarize that after all your work? Yeah, no, that's a great, great question. And so I think, again, if you go back to 2018 and you had asked, hey, can you explain what the delivery hero culture is? So in 2018, it was really an amalgamation of a lot of different cultures because we had grown um, inorganically through a lot of acquisitions. And so we had a lot of CEO founders that were still parts of the business and we still do to this day, but it was these different pockets of culture, a lot of similarities within these cultures, but it was different. And so it was really easy to take a step back and say, okay, what actually matters? What is authentic to us? And so we reset our values um, and we redid our values. We, we minimized them down to three so that people could really understand them. And we deliver solutions, we always aim higher, and we are heroes because we care. So to answer your question in terms of like, what does the culture feel like? They will tell you that we are pragmatic people that are always hungry, that truly care about our entire delivery ecosystem, right? We care about each other, 
We care about our environment. We care about our riders. We can care about our consumers and we care about our restaurant partners. And that's embedded throughout our organization from our recruiting to our onboarding, to our communications, through our performance management process. So if you could give a couple of tips to other CHROs and HRDs and heads of talent and any other HR leaders or business leaders listening to this on how a company can most effectively set its cultural transformation goals and ensure that they're aligned with the company's strategy. What Mm. what couple of pieces of advice would you give? Yeah, I love the word cultural transformation, right? Or even cultural renovation. I think so often because culture is there. Whether or not we maintain it, whether or not we cultivate it, culture is there. And so I think it's one of those things that so often we're like, oh, let's develop our culture. I'm like, it's there. So it's either we're tweaking, we're renovating. I had recently heard that on another podcast was the renovation of a culture. And I think, again, it goes back to kind of what was key ingredients to our success um, here at Delivery Hero of really embedding a people-centric organization. And that goes back to making sure your values are present and they're known. And I think, again, well-intended organizations out there come up with values, they go up on the wall, they go up on their website, and then they're forgotten about. And then you don't really maintain or you're not deliberate about cultivating and maintaining your culture. So make sure your your values are present and they're authentic because sometimes we have um, values that are aspirational that nobody can, can really live up to and or they're really hard to evaluate, right? So you can't tangibly say, okay, I know what delivering solutions looks like because that was something that we used as a barometer. I was like, okay, can we actually utilize these values when we think about performance? How do we evaluate a candidate, whether or not they're a good fit for us or they're a good fit for this team? So you wanted to be able to tangibly identify how they're either living up to the values or how they're even overperforming the values. So that's one thing. And then again, I think if you are ever creating a strategy in isolation from a people ops organization, you've missed the boat, right? You should never do things in isolation. They should always be in conjunction with the business and that you should always have a partner that's co-creating with you. And for me, it's we've created internally um, within my, my peer group, which is our executives, we've done a people committee. So we bring up topics in which we want their input. We need their input in order to be successful. So whatever is top of mind, we do it monthly. And it's like, whatever is, you know, I think one of the key areas lately has been on how do we scale? How do we make sure people are not burnt out? No matter how strategic you are as a CHRO or chief people officer, we will never be successful if we don't have partners within the business. Brilliant. You mentioned scaling. So in 2020, and perhaps you can give us the figures on how you scaled and when when you scaled, Delivery Hero grew exponentially, but you still managed to stay true to your values. How did you do that if we just angle in on the scaling and the value piece? So the scaling piece, I always get asked this, like, how do you scale an organization and make sure that your culture remains intact? I'm going to sound a little bit like repetitive on this, but it's through your values. You have to have it part of your process of um, evaluating somebody against your values. Can they demonstrate that they deliver so- solutions? Are they 
innovative or hungry enough to where they're not okay with the status quo, where for us, that's we always aim higher. We're always continuously innovating, continuously improving on what we do. And are they ultimately at the end of it, like, do they care? Do they care about each other? Do they care about um, other aspects outside of their, their day-to-day? Because that's really important to us. Just to just to interrupt there, what, what numbers did you go from? You mentioned 5,000, oh, yeah. but just the scale. Yeah, so in 2018, we were 5,000. Um, by the end of this year, we'll be 30,000. Wow. So that's, that is a big scaling initiative. Absolutely. And then we have a writer population um, of about a million. It can scale up to a million globally. So, but our most of our engineering teams across the globe, um, et cetera, um, we've gone from 5,000 to, to 30,000 by the end of this year. Amazing. In the past year, with that scaling that you've um, experienced, has the pandemic created any challenges for you in preserving the company culture? I mean, I think most companies have probably had a challenge of um, not necessarily just maintaining culture, but maintaining connection. We are hardwired as humans to connect. And in having to do that, we move into this very, as we all know, and I'm going to sound as things that people already know, in this virtual environment, we become very transactional, right? We, we miss those opportunities to have hallway conversations or sidebar conversations where you really could get the in-person and that connection, which was, is part of the culture. And so again, I think for us, it's, it was really important during the pandemic for those that were already here outside of what we talked about in terms of using our values when we were recruiting, it was really important for us to be transparent in our communication, right? Um, there are, there's a lot of data out there that will tell you there's this really famous study that goes out and, and employees actually see employers as a bigger source of truth than the news. So for us, it was really key to explain what do we know, what do we not know, and how we were also feeling and being transparent during during the pandemic. But we did initiatives that were key to us in core and authentic to us, which were meal donations, medical supply donations. We used our writer network to also um, deliver um, medical supplies. We uh, did a lot of different things that were were focused on creating safety within our delivery ecosystem um, and used task force internally on how do we make sure we maintain safety for the entire delivery ecosystem. So right from from consumers to writers to restaurant partners, we were the, one of the first companies to do the contactless delivery. I hadn't seen it anywhere else. We are a very, very global company. So we um, are in over 50 markets. So we we could see the pandemic coming um, because it started in Asia, of course, right? And so we could see it kind of almost like a, like a tidal wave. And so we were able to really prepare quickly and really move people quickly in terms of like, all right, how do we solve for this? And um, contactless delivery was something that we came up very early on. I think demonstrating, giving people opportunities that can, again, reinforce your values, reinforce that will reinforce your culture. And, um, you know, key to that is also communication, which I do believe so many, it's not talked about a lot, but as chief people officers or chief, you know, CHROs, we are also chief communications officers too, right? We are communicating internally, we are communicating externally and making sure that that's transparent. And it's, it's almost a mirror, right? What are we doing internally? We're also um, communicating externally. So that was really key to us was to communicate and to communicate often, but be transparent in, in what was happening. Coming on to diversity and in inclusion, and 
for you, building a diverse and inclusive culture is at the core of your your people strategy. Can you define firstly what DEI means to Delivery Hero? Because it's unique, mm-hmm. as we know, to every organisation. And then can you tell us more in detail what you're doing at uh, Delivery Hero to foster diversity, inclusion and equity? Yeah, of course. Diversity and inclusion, I feel, for at Delivery Hero is our superpower. Right. We have over 100 nationalities just in our Berlin office alone. We are in over 50 markets and we really believe that um, it is a, a unique strength for us that we are better because of it. And so I think prior to 2018, we might have not necessarily been particularly deliberate on it. And I think anybody that looks at our management team will go ahead and call out the, the elephant in the room. I am the only female on our team, but it was, you know, it's something that we are, we call out where again, it goes back to that transparency and authenticity is like, we believe from a a diversity standpoint, um, that diversity of thought, diversity of background, diversity of whatever it may be, your orientation is so, so key because that's what our consumers look like. We are going to be more innovative. We're going to be more creative. We are going to just provide better solutions to our consumers and also create a better culture. Going back to your questions a lot about culture, we believe that our culture is better because we are diverse, full stop. And what we are doing about it is a a lot of different things. We've set quite key ambitions on, we really have focused on gender diversity because I think it's something that is, it's very clear that we need to work on. Um, As mentioned, we have over 107, at last counting, uh, 107 nationalities in our Berlin office. But women in leadership is something that we really want to solve for. Women in tech is something that we clearly need to solve for. So we've done various actions, various um, programs that we've set out to really help and be ambitious when it comes to that. You obviously have worked extensively in the U.S., and now you've been in in Europe and, and obviously managing a, a global business. What are the differences in terms of DNI between your experience in the US versus Europe? If that's the right question, Jerry, perhaps you can open it up for us. You know, I think it's quite interesting. I um in I I have been doing different research on this because I will say, although I have always been in global organizations or for the majority of my career have been in global organizations, it wasn't until I spent time in in, in being based in Europe as I'm based in Berlin, um, really being able to identify some of the key key differences or just different challenges, right? And I think in the U.S., um, we have a lot, and I can say we, since I am American, have such significant historical baggage that we need to, we need to overcome. And and I think the rest of the world has seen that be happening and and manifesting in a very very visible way. And so I believe that the conversation from a DEI perspective has been. I won't, I, for lack of a better word, advanced um, because it's needed to. And so I think I have found that the conversation has been by far more advanced in the U.S. Not saying that it hasn't been starting in Europe. It's just a different topic. And I think, again, it goes back to gender. Gender is primarily what you hear about in Europe and particularly being focused in Germany. You'll see different initiatives by the government. You see different initiatives um, through companies on over you know, like changing um, very, very like antiquated regulation. I find the topics are 
are, are different. And I do find that it's a much more open space in the U.S. to discuss it. And here we are just really, I feel kind of on the impetus of, of diversity inclusion within Europe. And I think a lot of companies are doing some cool things, but I think we still have a far way to go because I think diversity is more than just gender. And it, it, as we both know that, right, there is a lot of intersectionality that needs to be, that, that needs to be promoted and be talked about. And, and often as we hear, we've heard about it before, you just get, it's this uncomfortableness and we need to be comfortable with being uncomfortable with these conversations and creating a safe space for that discussion. So coming on to the equally fascinating and important subject of sustainability. What's your role as the CHRO in relation to the sustainability imperative that's happening at the moment? Yeah, I am. Um, again, I just feel super fortunate to have this part of my role. And I, for all CHROs out there listening, I think you can make a case of having corporate social responsibility as part of your remit and part of your scope. Because when you can tie how your company shows up in the world and what kind of impact they can make on either the environment or society um, to your employee population, there is a sense of impact. And as we know, we've all read those papers, we all understand that ultimately all of us want to make an impact. And I think when you can tie that and make it authentic and connect it to what you do as a business, there's really some great goodness and value that you can drive from an employee engagement. So Back to your question, Rachel, um, I have corporate social responsibility under my remit. And part of that is our sustainable packaging program, as well as um, if you go out there, you'll you'll see that we have made a commitment to be um, carbon neutral by the end of the year. And so that, again, is something that I did not make in isolation. It is a huge commitment from the, the, um, the business. But again, it, it's something that we know we ultimately just want to show up in the world as a company that is doing good. But we also feel like we have a sense of obligation to fix certain things. So sustainable packaging is something that we're really taking on um, because we, as an organization, anybody who's who's ordered food, you know it comes in a lot of packages, right? It's a lot of um, boxes and bags, etc. And we create over 5 billion items of waste a year because of our orders globally. So we really feel we have a sense of obligation to to come up with a way to have sustainable packaging that's not impacting our environment. It is, believe it or not, very complicated to find biodegradable and sustainable packages that can keep your soup or keep your pizza in a way that doesn't biodegrade as on its way to deliver to you. But um, that is something that we're trying to solve. And we have a team um, that is working on that both in Berlin and around the world that we're really excited about. But again, I think we see so many companies that are responding to what investors want. Um, And not that they're not important in case investors are listening. But I really think the thing that I find quite, I'm quite proud of at Delivery Hero is, again, I keep saying this word authentic. What we've done and what we are continuing to do isn't in, in response to what the investors expect. It's what we expect of ourselves and it's authentic to what we do as a business. Like we want to make sure that we're leaving as cheesy as it sounds, the world a better place. And so we believe that we have a platform in order to do that. So coming now on to your people, what's your advice for attracting, retaining and developing uh, talent in, in delivery hero? 
That's the question, right? I mean, I think first and foremost, whatever my strategy is today will look different in a year. And I think that's that's probably one of the, the biggest learnings, if you will, of 2020 is that we need to continue to iterate and innovate just as we do for our consumers. We need to do that also for our employees. And it's really quite key to make sure that we are constantly asking feedback from our candidates, constantly asking feedback from our employees and those who are leaving. What can we do better? You know, what what can we do better for those candidates that drop out? Um, and then the same goes with retention, right? I mean, I think one of my mantras for 2020, and I, I will say it's now also for 2020, is don't make assumptions you ask, right? We make assumptions all the time for our employees. We're like, ah, oh, this is what they want for this benefit. Oh, this is what they want for, for this part of program. And I just am like, why would we do that? We need to ask their their input and use that as a data um, point to really inform your strategy. So I would say, get as much data as you can. Ask your people, ask your people from a candidate standpoint, um, as their employees and those that are leaving. Spend time with those that are leaving. What could you have changed? What can, What can you change going forward? And I really think we sometimes just miss those opportunities, those inflection points where we either make assumptions or we don't find time to get that data or get have those conversations. And so for us, our strategy is always evolving. The market is absolutely very, very hot right now from either from a compensation standpoint to a flexibility and choice of how you work and where you work. And for us to like, what, what could we do better? Um, and never assuming that what we're doing now will work in the future. One more question on that topic. The COVID situation has obviously required leaders to adapt Mm. in how they lead. How do you foresee talent evolving or leadership evolving as we move into a post-pandemic hybrid world? Yeah, I mean, that's such a great question. And I think we've already evolved, right? Um, If you would ask me pre-pandemic, I was already quite a fan of hybrid work. I think many in the U.S. that had worked for tech companies, hybrid work was was quite common. Maybe one day a week that you worked from home or two days a week for that you worked from home. And it was a really new concept for Europe and Asia. And I think it comes down to, I, I mean, if you ask Nicholas, our CEO, I have been pushing it before. And I think there's always that that concern on control, especially as you're scaling an organization, how do we know if they're going to be productive? How we know that they're, you know, understanding what we're doing? And I think again, you have to um, take a step back as a leader, really empower your people, trust your people, but also communicate, create opportunities in which you're connecting if you're doing this hybrid environment. And then when you do meet, um, you meet and you meet in a deliberate way. And what I mean by that is like have a purpose for when you meet. And I think gone are the days of like just showing up to the office for FaceTime. And maybe there's some organizations that still value that. But for us, it's really important on what is your output? And then how do you measure that? And then going back as a leader, really thinking about how do you connect with your people? How do you empower them? Making sure you're giving them feedback in a regular way. And so I think, again, you know, I I would say, it's not that different than before um, pre-pandemic. It's just more magnified. It's really mm. thinking about 
the connection piece, I think I'm just so, I'm thankful if I think I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a natural optimist and I always look for silver linings. And I think with the pandemic, it has just accelerated expectations and ex- accelerated the opportunity to really have that connection on a personal level. So you don't have those two personas of like, what's your work persona? And then what's your at home persona? You are one person because how exhausting is it to have those two personas? And the leader needs to give space and safe space of saying, Hey, you know what? You have room to be who you are. And I'm really thankful that those conversations are already happening. And I think in this new post-pandemic or current pandemic environment is giving space for people to be who they are um, and giving an opportunity to have those really true conversations of like, I'm not having a good day today. It's really stressful. My kids are home. I'm trying to maintain everything and giving space for that and giving a safe space for talking about that. Um, and I think really being that, that, that human, human side of it. Very good. There's hope, isn't there? What does the future of the CPO role look like? And that obviously connected to the people function, uh, leveraging the future. Um, I do think the pandemic um, for so many of my fellow colleagues in this role has really given them a spotlight, right? I think a lot of companies have woken up to saying, oh, I get it. I need to make sure that I'm really focused on my people strategy. This is how we win. This is how we survive. This is how we succeed. And so I think we are business leaders first, but we are also business people leaders. One last question. What's the most important way your organization is building on the lessons of 2020? One of my main main lessons, I would say, for 2020 was don't make assumptions, ask. Be very specific in what you're asking, and but understand the why. Make sure your employees understand the why of what you're asking and how does that, how does their voice matter? And then the other lesson is making sure that you make time for non-transactional interactions because connection is absolutely important. That is key to your culture. That is key to engagement. And that is key to just making sure you, you retain and engage your people. Um, we are more fulfilled when we are connected. Um, engagement science, any of those that are listening that really focus on the science of engagement will tell you the peer-to-peer relationships is one of the key drivers and connection is quite key for that. Another part is, you know, employees want to feel and need to feel that somebody in the organization cares about them. And we need to do that in a non-transactional way. And that is one of the other things I think was what was just magnified in 2020 was that we need to show that our to our employees that we care, and that needs to manifest in a various ways. But um, it, caring is key, and caring is key for for engagement. Brilliant, thank you. And on that note, it's been an absolute pleasure today, Jerry. So good luck with everything that you do, and uh, yeah, enjoy the the rest of your day. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Hydrogen Struggles Leadership Podcast. To make sure you don't miss more future shaping ideas and conversations, please subscribe to our channel on the podcast app. And if you're listening via LinkedIn, Twitter or YouTube, why not share this with your connections? Until next time.